Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. Your host, Nisi Edwards, is founder of the Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization, and she's here to offer help and hope to the millions of individuals who suffer from chronic pain. Now, here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Pain-Free Zone. I am your host, Nisi Edwards. And on today's show, we have our guest, Dr. Erin Stair. Welcome, Dr. Stair. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Fine. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to join us on the air today. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks. Thank you. And, Dr. Stair, I um, just want everyone to know a little bit more about you. So, everyone, Dr. Erin Stair, she is a physician and health consultant who runs Blooming Wellness, which is a holistic health and wellness consultation service and blog. She is affectionately known to her patient as Dr. Eeks. And on today's show, she's going to be discussing her new book, Manic Kingdom, which is based on a true story, a compelling book based on a true story about one doctor's to be struggle with mental illness and finding recovery in highly unusual, dangerous places. And in addition, we're going to be discussing Zenban and Zentone sound therapy. And I'm really excited about that, Dr. Dr. Stair, because I love the Zenbans and the Zentones. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. You're welcome. So let's get started. Um, your new book, The Main yeah. Kingdom, and I know this is based upon a true story. And I would like uh, to learn more about what was your motivation um, in writing this book? Um, yeah, I, I think, well, my, I think my greatest motivation um, was that we need to, that people who have struggled, anybody can struggle with a mental health issue at any time in their life. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what degrees you have. Um, it doesn't discriminate. Um and uh, I think when people who are like actively functioning and doing you know okay in life and are are in a good place, I think that they have an obligation to tell their story and share it with people, um, so the other people out there know that hey, this doesn't have to sideline you from life. Um, you're not defined by your flaws. You're not defined by you know your illnesses. Um, you can be an amazing person and being contribute contributing a lot to society. Um, and to me, and just you know, there's just a stigma associated with chronic illnesses or mental illness in particular. That um, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna write my story. That so, is so true, and I feel that yeah. there is healing and telling your story, your journey. Oftentimes, uh, a lot of people, I myself included, you sometimes struggle with how much should I share, or will people mm-hmm. really want to hear about my story, my journey? And I have found from personal experience that not only is it helping oneself, it's helping the other person because they can read your story or listen to your story if it's on a podcast or whatever medium it may be and say, wow, who told her my story? You know, she's talking directly to me. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. Um, and it's it's interesting because the more I open up, uh, you realize that you're not so different or so unique and a lot of people will, you know, then feel it's okay to share their story with you and it, that is therapeutic. 
very therapeutic. And as you mentioned with chronic illness, there is a lot of stigma uh, attached to it, as well as mental illness. And um, oftentimes, mental illness, people think, well, you know, there's really something seriously wrong with these people. They're dangerous people, yeah. whatever it may be. But what they fail to realize is that you can have a chronic condition that can lead to depression, which can be due to a chemical imbalance in the body. Uh, it could be due to just the stressors of life that we all experience. Just because we start there doesn't mean that's where we're going to end. And everyone needs to realize this. That's the purpose of getting help, getting the medical care and treatment that you need. Exactly. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think the, the more we put a lid on this stuff and we don't talk about it, that actually um, slows down progress in terms of finding things that work. That's so, so very true. Now, with your yeah. book, it's about mm-hmm. one doctor's to be struggle with mental illness and finding recovery in highly unusual, dangerous places. So tell us about this doctor's journey. Uh, and the end result, where did they find the help that they need? And as a physician, I would think that's even more difficult, you know, to be transparent, to say, you know, if whoever the physician may be, to reveal that they're struggling with a mental illness because people like to feel that their physicians, you know, they're so perfect or they can't have the same conditions or disorders that their patients have. Yeah, so... Two things about the um, there, this actually is an epidemic now: depression and um, suicide in physicians and medical students. And um, the AMA, the American Medical Association, is actually addressing this. Um, there, so there's actually a committee. If you go to their website, they're um, trying to introduce more of a holistic curriculum. Um, they really want to emphasize wellness um, because they're they're realizing that depression burnout, all of that's a significant problem. And, this, you know, these are our main caretakers, our doctors. Um, so I, th- I think that that's number one. Number two, there's a lot more research going into things like diet and lack of sleep. And, you know, during med school, you experience a lot of shifts in your diet. You may not be eating healthy. You're going to go to, like, Taco Bell or, like, the drive-thru, something that's like <laughs> convenient. And you're definitely not sleeping um, the way you should. And uh, now there's more and more studies showing that like what the lack of sleep um, does to the brain and it's, it's linked to depression. Um, So I, to me, like the story um, it's written in a creative way. It's an engaging way. There's, there's characters in the story, but it was actually like, you know, the, the conventional guys, the therapists and the doctors didn't really ask the protect, the, the main character in the story, you know, how how's your diet? How are you sleeping? How's your stress level? Your every day today? Um, they just sort of focused on the pharmaceutical solution, um, and it actually took her um, away from med school, out to California, where she met a guy who was actually a con artist, but the guy was actually um, into working out, into his diet, into his sleep habits, partly because he was a narcissist. And he wanted to look good and feel good, but she actually kind of joined in on this routine and realized that she started to feel better um, and realized, you know, the sick, you know, in the one of her 
phrases was, oh, sleep should be another word for sanity, um, which is obviously not the case, but the book is there to kind of show you um, how making these basic lifestyle changes, because um, going back to the basics can actually do you a world of good. Um, so that's, that, that's, that was, I mean, that, that's probably the main part of the book. And obviously there's some drama, there's a romance, there's all of that other stuff, all that human stuff um, in there. <laughs> Now, with the with the book, when you mention about medical school, yeah. So I know years pass, and it may still be the same. I really don't know where the medical students would spend so many hours making rounds, and uh-huh. that was a requirement for the you know part of their role to be training to be a physician to get that practical experience. Is that yeah. still the common practice today? Yes, um, you make rounds, and some you, you go on clinical rotations, and some rotations are more intense than others. Um, family medicine might not be so bad, but your surgical rotation, um, you might be, you know, you're you're not sleeping many hours, that kind of thing. Um, and there's like a hazing process, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I suppose part of that is to make sure you can act under pressure. Um, you know, I, I went to a military academy and hazing was part of that and, and the idea is to uh you know make sure you can act under pressure make sure you can accept the law um and to see and also to see how you react under pressure um but uh and i think there's some good in that uh, but i also think that there can be less of that um and i think that's exactly what this new initiative that the ama is is, is you know um behind is to kind of like make medical school maybe less uh, less painful in a way. Yes, um, and what comes to my mind is for anyone, if you are not getting enough sleep, you are not at your very best. Um, that goes without saying, but when we think about the medical establishment, whether you are a physician or a medical student, that's even more so dangerous because you you're holding patient care, you know, in the palm of your hands. And I, you just think about the number of errors, of course, unintentional, but we all know that when you don't get enough sleep, you can't yeah. function very well. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. There is, there's sort of this cultural thing around sleep where, oh, you're tougher. Oh, I'm, I'm still going. I don't need to sleep. Um, and that's just the fallacy. It's, it's you know, it's, it's that that's actually dangerous. Um, we should be like, no, no, get sleep. You're actually more valuable to us if you get sleep. You're, you're not this tough guy who can function on, you know, two hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> so, and, you know, in the military, there was this phrase, sleep is a crutch. Um, and, you know, while that might serve you well in an environment um, temporarily, it's definitely not a motto that you want to champion for your whole life um so but i think the research today like i said i mentioned before um and i also work in the digital um mental health space um there are studies that actually show if somebody comes to their doctor and they're depressed and they're also um not getting enough sleep they have insomnia there are studies that show if you treat the insomnia just the insomnia the depression also goes away so to me, that's pretty significant. It is. And when you commented on the physician's lack of sleep, I actually um, experienced that a number of years ago. Uh, there was a physician 
that uh, was my attending doctor, had been my attending doctor for a number of years, about maybe six to seven years. And I really loved her. But one day I noticed her behavior was very different. I, I went to the office. She came in the examination room and she really seemed a little bit off, not necessarily herself. And she says, OK, I'll be right back. You know, she never returned. I could hear her in the next room with the next patient. She totally forgot that I was in the examination room and that she she totally forgot that I was in there. And I come out and I look for the nurse and I says, I, I think there's a problem. She she uh, <laughs> said she'd be right back. But the problem is she went to the other uh, examination room and they looked at me rather strangely. And I'm looking at them rather strangely as if to say, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, because she forgot. And oh, wow. yes, I, I never returned. Uh, I never returned. And I remember her saying she has so many patients back to back. And it was just concerning because I felt that if you can't focus on me as a patient, then you're no good for me or for yourself. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Now, Dr. Eakes, um, I know that you also went to medical school. And can you tell us a little bit uh, about that experience? Um, yeah, I mean, so basically, um, it was, uh, it's like a marathon for your brain, I'd say. Um, it's a lot of memorizing. It's a lot of, um, you know, and and you're exposed to a lot of diseases and and death and that kind of thing. Um, but you're also exposed to a lot of good things, a lot of healing. Um, but I think, yeah, it feels sort of, it feels like a marathon for your brain. Um, Yes. I, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing that, you know, I actually, I wanted to treat patients one-on-one when I started med school, but by the time I was in my third year, I realized um, where I felt my talents would be best put to use would be um, focusing more on a population level and population interventions. I was, I actually became more interested in um, those Things we could do, um, you know, in terms of prevention, I guess, um, that could prevent people from getting into um, really debilitating and expensive disease states. Um, and when you listen to their stories, um, and I always, I always loved listening to individuals, um, but, but you know, at the same time, well, there's always, there's always a bell-shaped curve in there. There was always common factors that um, resonated with me and things that we needed to address on a population level so we could prevent things from getting to these dire straits. We're going to go on break, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Pain-Free Zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. We're back with Dr. Stair. So, Dr. Steer, we were right before commercial break. We were discussing that that you were uh, in medical school at one point in time in your life. And after that, I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, you then went on from there and started your own business, Blooming Wellness. Um, I did. I, I, well, I actually I got a um, scholarship um, at NYU as part of their global health leadership program. And um, I was able to get my 
master's of public health degree. And then while I was there, um, I started Blooming Wellness, um, which was uh, basically to kind of teach people. It's a consulting business. It's also, you know, it's also an e-commerce site um, that focuses on ways to handle stress, anxiety, um, pain, like sleep, and uh, also features a blog. I love to write. So um, basically all along those themes um, of prevention and also things that we can do um, to make our lives healthier. Yes, and um, that's basically, I know that you and I met uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I uh, run a not-for-profit, and, you know, our focus is all on chronic pain, mainly fibromyalgia as well as other chronic pain conditions. And what attracted me to Blooming Wellness is the sound therapy. And with sound therapy, whether you have fibromyalgia or any other chronic pain condition, sleep, anxiety, stress, all play a role. Uh, sometimes they all go hand in hand together. Yeah. And it's difficult to manage, very difficult to manage. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. So for people who are not familiar with sound therapy, can you elaborate on that for us, please? Sure. So sound therapy is, is sort of an umbrella term. Um, there's different ways people define it. Um, for instance, you can go to a spa or a salon and experience sound therapy in a room that play, uh that focuses on different vibrations um, with different instruments from all over the world. Um, what what I do is um, I actually worked with a team of of doctors in Germany. Um, I made I wanted to create sound therapy on the go, something that a person could access instantly if they felt like they needed it. Um, so we our programs uh, use binaural beats, something called binaural beats, um, isochronic tones, and also nature sounds. Um, and in order for the programs to work, you need to wear, um, headphones. Um, and basically a binaural beat is, uh, when you have two different frequencies, one frequency is presented to one ear and the other is presented to, um, to the opposite ear. And what happens is your brain actually creates a beat. It's called a phantom beat because it doesn't actually exist in space, but it's called a phantom beat and that's called the binaural beat. And that, um, the theory is that it entrains your brain to um, it sets it in, in a particular frequency that you desire, a desired frequency. Um, so that's the idea of brainwave entrainment. That's the idea of binaural beats in a very simplistic way. Um, so that would be what what I create, and those are called the Zen tones that you can access on our website. And with your product, these are not. This is not a Bluetooth device, correct? No, no. And I know that with Bluetooth um, devices as well as other devices, there's always uh, that risk of electromagnetic frequencies. A lot of people are very sensitive to them. And that's what I love about your product because there is no exposure. Yeah. I, and a lot of people are like, oh, you should do Bluetooth, you should do Bluetooth. And, you know, but here's the thing. I get that it's trendy, and I get that technology evolves super fast, but guess what? We don't, and we really don't know um, the long-term effects um, of, of a lot of this stuff. So especially like something like Zentos, people lay down or sometimes they fall asleep through the night listening, and, you know, so 
uh, that's why I said, you know, just like have the Zen band, let's not put a battery on the brain because I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And people will say, oh, well, there's no studies out there. There's no risk. Yet. And I'm like, guys, we don't even, we don't know that. This is, this has not been around, you know, since the dinosaurs. This is very new. So well, let's wait and see uh, what the effects are. And, you know, that'll come in time, but we're not there yet. That's true. And we are so wired as a culture of people. You know, yeah. we're wired for everything. You know, um, when we go to sleep at night, we have the iPad, we have the iPhone, Android, whatever the tablet or phone may be, all these other electrical devices in our home. And we never stop to think for a moment about the effect on our bodies. Uh, I know firsthand that it does affect the sleep. I think I can't, I think about the number of times, you know, I've wakened in the middle of the night and for whatever reason decide, you know, I need to check to see if I got a message from someone, you know, if I'm looking yeah. for something. And then when you turn that on, the light that it emits mm-hmm. and, Absolutely. you know, that stimulates the brain. And guess what? I can't go back to sleep. Yeah. Well, what it does do is it inhibits melatonin. Um, and if, if you look on the uh, if you look at the uh, chemical pathway of melatonin, melatonin actually um follows the serotonin pathway. So like, if you're producing melatonin, you're going to be producing serotonin. And melatonin is the vampire hormone. So the slightest amount of light, so that little blue light from your phone mm-hmm. will keep it from coming out, and that's what keeps you up. Um, so I always tell people to try to sleep like a cave person if you can. Um, and that can be hard to do. But, you know, turn off the appliances, turn off the computer, try to keep your room dark, um, Try to go to bed when the sun goes down and try to get, you know, get up when the sun comes up. That's true. Um, there's a member, um, in one of my support groups that is so sensitive to these frequencies that she has shared with me that she has not been able to leave her home for a number of years. The community in which she lives, uh, is a small community, but uh, when she goes into some of the bigger box stores or when you go into some of these stores, the lighting, for example, that's overhead. Yeah. She mentioned the sensitivity to the light, the headaches, the feeling of just being sick all over, not being able to function. Mm. And awful. Yes, it is very awful. And she mentioned to me that she's become sensitive to the lights and everything else over a period of years. So what she does to manage and cope is a certain time of day, she shuts everything down, home phone, cell phone, lights, everything. And there are a lot of products out there that you can put for, I I think the term is earthing. Yeah. So there are a lot of earthing products that she can use at home or outside of the home. And so these earthing products, um, they're supposed to help, you know, eliminate a lot of these EMFs so that you can sleep. Oh, that's that's amazing. And yeah. also it's good for grounding as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's not, you know, I always tell people to like, well, there, you know, obviously there's an old adage, go into nature because it heals. But when you go into nature and you don't have any technology of everything turned off. If you actually just sit and listen, there is a rhythm, right? And yes. you feel feel good when you hear the sounds of the rhythms of nature. It's it's a uh, I, I wrote something down last uh, 
but it, to me it was like uh, sitting in, in the orchestra and feeling right. Like just, that was the orchestra I was supposed to be in. And it, it that's, resets that tempo, um, your natural tempo, the, the tempo that we evolved with over time. Yes. So, and, you know, you not only can you feel it, you can hear it. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, for me, what I find relaxing is I will go into the local forest preserves. And when you go there, you just shut everything out and you can hear, you know, the sounds of nature and the smells of nature. You know, the fresh air, you hear the birds chirping. If there is a, a lake or pond or whatever it is, if you listen, you can hear all that. You know, you can hear the water, the sounds of the water rippling. I mean, just being in tune. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we are getting more and more away from that. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term nature deficiency disorder, but uh, that actually came about because of all the all the technology and kids. You know, they just they're in their phones, they're playing games, and they're not um, they're not experiencing nature, which is also dangerous. Uh, one for the psychological effects, but also because they may not develop that intimate connection with nature that we need to kind of protect the environment as well. Yes. Now, what concerns me is with a lot of our urban areas that are so overly populated, it's difficult sometimes for people to find an area where they can go and visit and just to unwind in distress. Yeah. Um, Well, I live in New York City, so you can probably hear it. You can probably hear the horns right now. <laughs> People screaming all hours. There's lights. Um, and yeah, obviously it's New York City. That's what it's known for. But I'm there. Are, you know, I always can find a place to for quiet contemplation. Um, you know, in our, in there's enough green spaces uh, for now, at least here, um, where you can go and just sit by flowers and just kind of. Um, enhance that experience. It's like a little slice of nature that you, you know, you, you can use your imagination to kind of magnify that. Yes. Um, but well worth it. Uh, I think doctors, that should be a prescription that they write to patients, you know, <laughs> go yeah. out and explore and experience nature. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I know, I think on mind, the, the mental health charity based in the UK, um, I think they've actually did a study on this with, um, nature therapy so it sounds silly and i always joke but it seems like a lot of um therapies um these you know trendy new age types of therapies are things that we should be doing anyways um like there's laughter therapy there's nature therapy um you know even sound therapy like like yeah we we should be doing that anyways but we're not (laughs) no and i think one of the reasons why we are not doing that is because I think that the medical establishment is so programmed by the pharmaceutical industries. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, they get in with the doctors early. You know, they go oh, yeah. in there, they educate them uh, about which products um, they should be prescribing. And I used to work for a couple of pharmaceutical uh, companies. I no oh. longer work in that industry, but I know from firsthand experience that whenever there was a new product, you know, that was on formulary and especially if it was a brand new product right out the gate, you know, they have the pharmaceutical reps 
in the office talking to the doctor about their product and why they need to prescribe various drugs and medicines. And um, one physician one time when I visited her for, you know, chronic pain, and she was trying to put me on this one biological drug. And when I proceeded, you know, to question her as to why is this needed? Is there an alternative? You know, before we go down that road, let's consider some other alternatives. And her response was, oh, no, no, no. I, I just love this. I just love this. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, no, you've been preconditioned by pharma that you need this product. This is what your patients need. Now, I realize that there are some good medications out there that do save lives. So I'm not knocking pharma, but at the same time, I'm more holistic in the sense that I feel that there are other alternatives that should be explored and it should always be, you know, a prescription drug. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, the pharma, I mean, well, you know, they also, they fund uh, medical education. They fund um, medical schools. They fund research at medical institutions. They fund continuing medical education. Um, so it's, and, and to your point, there are amazing drugs out there saving lives, but, um, is there a bias? Absolutely. Yes. Um, and I think that uh, it's unfortunate, but it's so, I mean, the drug companies also, just in terms of uh, the economy, they are one of the more stable industries that we have. Um, their profit margins are really high. Uh, you know, you can get a job probably in pharma. So like, from, so they're not going anywhere is my no. point. Yes. From, from the economic standpoint, they're, they're very successful. Um, but it's un- to me, it's very sad and it's unfortunate that they have such a strong um, influence on the way on Western medicine. Um, and it's hard to know, uh, you know, a lot of studies that come out, you know, obviously they're biased towards the drug and, um, you know, and then doctors too, Western doctors, you know, they're, they're fed, in, they're fed this, this is, uh, um, what they're given this is the curriculum that they're given. And unfortunately, you know, they're so busy. They have to see a lot of patients to make their bonuses and to make their hospitals happy that they don't really have the time to explore anything else that's out there. Um, and anything else gets immediately dubbed as quackery um, because, oh, it's not studied. It's not studied. Well, just because it's not studied doesn't mean it doesn't work. Um, it just it just hasn't been studied yet. There's not the funding there. Um, so it, it's really sad. There's that. It, it to me it's just disturbing, but uh, um, that's why I, I think it's really important. I think it's really important what your organization is doing to um, empower individuals and give them information so that they are empowered to make decisions for themselves. Thank you, and we're going to take our next break, and we will be right back. Now, let's get back to the pain-free zone. Here's Nisi Edwards. Welcome back to the pain-free zone and with our guest, Dr. Aaron Stair. So, Dr. Stair, um, we were talking about the pharmaceutical industry, and that is one of the main reasons why I started and created Fibro Patient Education and Support Organization. 
I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia in around June and July of 2014. Prior to that time, I had been experiencing chronic pain for a number of years. But it wasn't until 2014 that I had a probably a third, fourth or fifth opinion with a physician who finally said one day, has anyone ever told you what the problem is? And I says, no, I wish someone would tell me. And that's when he told me it was fibromyalgia. Now, I had a lot of anger because if you can imagine um, suffering with chronic pain for five years or greater and you're seeing doctor after doctor, specialist after specialist and everyone, all they do is give you a script. And, you know, you ask, well, what's wrong with me? What's going on? Yeah. Well, is this or is that or we really don't know. But if you take this, you know, you should start feeling better. And then you take that drug, which has side effects, and you go back and they prescribe another drug to counteract the side effects from the first drug. And it goes on and on and on. And then when you can't sleep because of all of these drugs, there's a drug for that. There's a pill for that, that. Yeah. It was such a vicious cycle and very frustrating. And all the while I was working in the pharmaceutical industry. So working in that environment, I pretty much knew a lot as to how some of this works with pharma. You know, they go into the physician's office and they are teaching and training them on their newest, latest and greatest drug. And like you said, the physicians a lot of times don't really have a lot of time. So the pharmaceutical industry gives them that information. And um, I finally decided for me that I needed a more holistic approach. Something that was going to work for me. You know, everyone's body is different in terms of how we, you know, respond to medication and I didn't have a support system outside of my family. And um, I decided that since I was not getting much support from the medical establishment, I wanted to create something that was going to give back to the community to help others who were going through the same thing that I was experiencing with the hope that by providing them awareness and education through our events, you know, our support mm-hmm. groups, our podcasts, um, the pain-free zone, for example, that it will help them pretty much to let them know that they're not alone. We're yeah. in this together and that there is hope. Because I found that when you start feeling that there is no hope, depression sets in. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does. Um, and, and that's why a lot of these things kind of go hand in hand. They're like little demons fueling each other, you know. Yes, it is. Pain and then you're getting no answers. And, uh, of course it, you know, it's, it's ripe for depression. It is very much so because you just feel so alone, so alienated. And September is chronic pain awareness month. And most people, this is the number one thing that I think annoys a, a, a lot of people with a chronic pain illness when people say, well, you don't look sick. So, so what is that supposed to mean? Yeah. You know, great yeah. that I don't look sick. You know, that, that's wonderful. I don't know of anyone who does want to look sick. 
But, yeah. <laughs> but just, but you know, you, that's just like judging a book by its cover. That, that, that's not something you can do. Well, it's, it's sort of, you know, and that is a form of a, a stigma, right? It's yes. sort of like telling a depressed person, you don't have a reason to be depressed. It's like, well, that's why we don't talk about it because, you know, you don't need, there is no such thing as a, a reason or, you know, there isn't a look. Um, so, and, and that's all part of the re-educating, you know, people to, to kind of get out of um, categorizing things that way, you know, by a look, by a, you know, you need a reason for this and you re- need a reason for that. True. Um, and yeah. a lot of people don't want to share what they're going through because they don't want to be judged. And especially mm-hmm. if you're working, you know, if you're working and you have a chronic condition, and yeah. it gets to the point where you have to start taking off time from work. Number one, you're fearful that, I'm, ooh, I'm going to lose my job. Number yeah. two, you don't necessarily want to tell your employer what is wrong with you for fear that if I if I tell them, then there is mm-hmm. a stigma associated with that. And they're going to feel that I'm no longer competent and able to do the job. Yeah. And so you hold all that in. That's a lot of pressure to hold in. It is, it's tremendous. Um, and the person is actually, um, right, uh, because there is a stigma and it can affect your job. Um, and that's, you know, there's, there, there are, there are, there is, um, a movement now with employee wellness programs and, you know, there's a lot of things going on, uh, in terms of trying to get employees to, uh, change the work culture and, and work work culture. We spend most of our lives at work, so it's it's really important to um, try to you know, educate people. Um, you can have a condition and be perfectly competent. You you know you'll make all your deadlines. You'll you'll do your job. Um, you know you'll have a stellar performance. But um, I think that's just this, this, there's just a lot of. Um, narratives out there that that go against that that we have to change that is so very true and i think that that is a a dialogue that needs to be conducted with the uh, hr departments uh, as well as upper management uh, as well as the you know the vice president of the company or president of the company i mean it really needs to start at the, the the top because i have found that when you share certain things, that information is used against you. So when you when we talk about employee wellness or, or occupational health, mm-hmm. there are some companies out there. So let's say that you have to go on short term disability, mm-hmm. and there is usually an absent management company that they contract with, and the role of this absent management company is to review your medical records and determine if you really need to be on medical leave. And your doctors can say, um, Jane, for example, just making up a name, can have X, has XYZ condition, needs to be on medical leave for X period of time. And if they don't feel that there is enough evidence to support that, then they're not going to approve your request. And the people that's making these decisions oftentimes are, are not doctors. These are people who can be claims examiner or whatever, and not to say that they're not intelligent people or educated people, but sometimes it's just certain things 
people just don't understand. And they're making decisions that affect people's quality of life. They'll say, oh, well, you should be able to work. And um, people go back to work when they're ill-equipped and they shouldn't be working because they really need that time off. And then that becomes a workers' comp issue because if you're someone that's truly in a lot of pain, you're ill or whatever it may be, and you truly need that time off from work, forcing that individual to go back to work, that's not healthy. And if, let's say, they have an accident at work and it leads to workers' comp, that's another issue. So how... What I, I, I'm thinking about, um, so there's two, there's two kinds of absenteeism is when you're not there, when you have to, you know, take uh, a sick day and you have to, you know, tend to your, your health issues. But there's also something called presenteeism and presenteeism is when you are at work and you are working, um, despite, uh, your health issues. And, um, I think the way we're going to, you're going to get people to start acknowledging that as a real problem is when you see how much presenteeism presenteeism in dollars costs the employers and the economy. It's actually a lot more than absenteeism. So you're actually, so these guys are actually making people show up to work or actually it's not, it's not even, it's not cost effective. It's not the right thing to do from just a human perspective, um, you know, to, to actually kind of act like, you know, more about somebody's health condition than they do. Yes. But from a cost effective perspective, it's actually the wrong thing to do as well. Um, I agree. So could, yeah, it could actually be one of the more um, influential um, uh, arguments against doing that, against making people, you know, show up to work. Um, so, we'll, uh, and again, that that that'll have to be, um, you know, obviously the decision makers of the companies are going to have to uh, start seeing that and, and and seeing those trends. But um, I've I've actually you know looked into this issue pretty closely because I work for a digital mental health company and um, it's the economic argument that I think might get um, employers and HR to to stop doing that. And I think that's something that's really going to get their attention and, and thank you for sharing that because yeah. that discussion should have started a long time ago because yeah. a lot of people they need help. They need help like right now because they are literally unable to function. Um, yeah. You know, they, they're doing the best they can and they're just not able to function. They're no good f- to themselves. You know, they want to be present. They want to be successful. They're stellar performers. They want to do a good job for their employer. But at the same time, they're paying a price because they're sacrificing their own health. You know, yes, you have to put food on the table. Yes, you have to provide for your families. You need a place to live, but at the same time, we have to take care of our health. Yep. Yeah. It's the most valuable thing we have. <laughs> and we shouldn't be forced to choose. Oh, no, no, absolutely not. And, uh, it, it's sad. I mean, there's just, there are so many cases out there where people, um, do feel they do have to make that choice and it's, the consequences are, are terrible. Um, so I mean, hopefully, again, I think I think we are moving toward, um, you know, like addressing this in a more holistic and common sense way. Um, yes. I just I just think that the economic 
argument is probably going to be this. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, uh, you would like to think people are, you know, just good people and not forcing people, not torturing people to show up or, you know, um, questioning um, how, you know, what he or she does for her, for their health. But um, seeing that it's actually costing the company, uh, that that'll get their attention. You know, um, I really hope so. And um, some companies, you know, are trying to do the right thing. Um, and there are some that are not. Uh, I know one in um, particular that when I finally went forward, but I didn't say what was wrong with me, I just simply said that, you know, uh, I had a chronic condition mm-hmm. and that um, I needed to transfer uh, jobs, you know, to doing something else. And yeah. I asked them, could they help me, the senior management team, and how they helped me. Dr. Steer was they reported me to the human resources department and they told me to my face that they didn't see me as someone whom could get the job done anymore. And that was very depressing. It was very painful. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, when I think about it now, it really spurred me forward to this movement where I am today helping others. So when you mention presenteeism, is there a a website for others that would like to learn more about this or how to engage in this dialogue that we can Um, visit? So for a website, um, I I can't name one specifically. Um, I know I I read the the articles as they come out um, and, and you know, and I think uh, if you, if, I think if you just do your own Google search out there, okay. I think there are employ. I think there are um, company independent organizations that have done these types of studies. Um, and it's actually a word, though. You know, everyone's familiar with absenteeism, but no one's really familiar with presenteeism or how costly that can be. Yes. So I would encourage people to just start googling that, and you know, seeing these organizations that have actually done studies. Um, not only on the company level, but on even on the country level, on a national level, to see the uh, the effects of presenteeism, and it's really quite alarming. Just even the difference of how much more costly it is um, than absenteeism, which it seems almost counterintuitive. You would think that absenteeism would cost more. It's not the case. Hold. Oh, we're going to go to our next break. You're listening to The Pain-Free Zone on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Nisi Edwards. Welcome back to The Pain-Free Zone. And on today's show, we have Dr. Aaron Stair. So, Dr. Stair, thank you for sharing the difference between absenteeism and also letting us know what is presenteeism, uh, because oftentimes we're just focused on the opposite, you know, people being absent, but we're not looking at what is costing us economically when you are there, when you shouldn't be there. Yep. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. So I want to um, use our remaining time to talk more about um, the sound therapy, um, because I have used your products 
and I want yeah. um, the audience to know more about your wonderful products. So we talked about sound therapy. So tell me, what are some of the um, Zen tones that are available? Um, yes, yeah, so if you visit us at bloomingwellness.com, um, you, we have Zen tones for anxiety, stress. Um, we have one for um, headaches, um, obviously not pathologically induced headaches, but um, stress-induced headaches. Uh, premenstrual headaches. A lot, a lot of people use it for that. Um, we have one available for sleep, um, and also low mood. Um, and, uh, and, and then we also, we have like a hypnotic relaxation one where, um, somebody sort of guides you through. It's almost like a guided meditation <clears throat> to focus on your breath. So I think we have 10 different ones now. Um, and you can buy them all as a packet at a really affordable price. So you can try them all out. Um, and, I think of our most popular one is probably the anxiety relief one. Um, that would that's what I seem to get the most feedback from. Now with so. um, the Zen Band, what I love about the product is that these are flat speakers. Yeah, which yeah. makes them more comfortable than the others. You know that that awkward feeling you get when you're trying to squeeze them in your ear is just an uncomfortable yeah. feeling. Yeah, um, and actually in the next week or two we're we're upgrading our speakers so they're going to be even smaller and flatter and the sound's going to be better so i'm excited about that um so, and they, they should be here in, in a week or so um and i'll let you know for sure um, thank you and the other thing <laughs> the other thing about the zen band um is and to me it's very important uh to kind of um control anxiety or stress is to keep out the ambient light because uh, that can be very disturbing so it, it can act as an eye mask and if you just take and to me, it's, you know, everything is kind of follows a bell-shaped curve. And it, you should use the Zen band as a tool to kind of help you get over that hump um, and to, to lower the slope of that curve, so to speak, so you can um, kind of get back into a calm state and a state when you can, you know, reduce the stress and kind of manage things again. Yes. So, and I purchased, uh, I believe it was recently, about 25 uh, of your Zen bands. And yeah. um, at our event, you know, we we had um, a chronic pain event uh, recently, and yeah. um, we had a Tai Chi demonstration, and a lot of the attendees did receive a, a Zen band, and they're lovely, and also they come in a variety of colors, which is even nicer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm big on that. I'm big on color therapy, um, you know, like this, you know, you think, I think Oscar Wilde said uh we can save our soul through our senses and our senses through our soul. So, you know, we have, yes, of course we have the sound therapy for hearing, but also um, I wanted to focus on sight and different colors because obviously uh, different colors evoke different moods. So, True. Yeah. Now, when you mention about uh, ang- the Zantone for anxiety, typically mm-hmm. um, what is the length of each of these tones? Um, so th- I, I believe the anxiety relief one is around 28 minutes. Um so the beauty of that is it's, there's no really active participation involved. You don't have to wor- worry about your breathing. You can just put on your Zen band, plug it in, and then play the anxiety relief Zen tones. Um, so I like that. It's, you can take a more passive role. Um, uh, and, and, and in acute moments when you feel like you can't do anything, I think that's important. Um, and some of the, the sleep one, I believe, is a little longer, around 45 minutes. Um, so varying lengths, but mostly around 20 20 to 40, um, that would be the length. 
And you can just leave these on, and if you fall asleep, it's okay to still be wearing these? Yeah. Perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned really- the one about PMS. So tell us uh, about that, because um, I know a lot of young ladies that will benefit from that. So, well, there's, there's so many things with PMS. Um, but I have, actually, we have a, my older sister, who's a physician and internist and a pediatrician, um, she will... Um, She's open about this, so but she, you know, she gets migraines. It's very common with PMS. So she listens to the, the headache program for that, um, and also, but you know, just premenstrual dysphoria, and that obviously there's hormonal fluctuations that affect our mood. So anything that can kind of um, boost your mood during that time or, or reduce your anxiety. Um, so this is definitely a tool that you can try, um, and I'm very careful. These aren't cure alls. Yes, I understand. You know, it's important to stress, and I, you know, I always say everybody. This is just a tool that you should have in your toolbox. And your toolbox should have a lot of stuff in there that that you can access, um, sort of like a library for stress. Um, and so that's what I would consider the Zen bands and the Zen tones. Absolutely, I just view it as part of um, my my toolkit. You know, whether it's my chronic yeah. illness toolkit or whatever you want to call it. Um, we're coming to the end of our show, but uh, Dr. Stair. Um, I would like you uh, to have the last word and to let our listeners know where they can purchase your products as well as your book. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for having me. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Um, and thank you for what you're doing. I think it's great. Um, so as, as the book Manic Kingdom, that's the title. You can find that on Amazon um, and also you can find it and the Zen bands and the Zen tones at bloomingwellness.com. And of course, um, you can feel free to contact me directly through the website as well. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Stair, so much for being on the air with me today. And I look forward to having you return. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>